Hey, Valley Christian Church, it's so good to see you guys today. For anybody who doesn't know who I am, I'm Pastor Stephen Francis, the campus pastor at our Poughkeepsie campus, filling in for Dr. Greg today as we do week two of our new series, Daring Faith. You know, last week we talked about what faith looks like, and this week we're going to take that faith that we talked about to the next level. Before we do that, though, I want to have a little bit of fun in here. I want to ask you guys a question here and at Poughkeepsie. How many of you guys, by show of hands, are a fan of movies? Anybody in here a fan of movies? All right. Great to see it. Great to see it. I'm a huge fan of movies. I actually used to want to be an actor before I became a pastor. And uh, I want to have a little bit of fun in here today. I want to know what your favorite movie is. So this is what we're going to do. Think right now of one of your favorite movies. It could be the best one of all time, one you've seen recently. But think of one movie that you just love to watch. And at the count of three, here in Poughkeepsie, I want you guys to tell me out loud so I can hear what your favorite movie is, all right? Don't be shy. If it's a bad movie, don't worry. We're in church. There's no judgment here. But we're going to do this together. So here we go. Think of your favorite movie at the count of three. Tell me out loud. One, two, three. All right. You guys got some good taste in here. Now, I was going to tell you about one of my favorite movies, but instead of tell you, I figured since I was up here, I could show you a clip from one of my favorite movies. So for your entertainment, here it is, a scene from one of my favorite movies. Check this out. Good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind, that word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July. And you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution. But from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live. To exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Guys, I love that movie. That guy that salutes at the end, that's awesome. Now, I think we enjoy movies so much because it gives us a break from reality. You know, I like action movies, movies like Independence Day, Mission Impossible, The Dark Knight. My wife, she likes movies more like The Notebook and <laughs> The Devil Wears Prada and Downton Abbey. Now, I know, I know, I know, Downton Abbey is not a movie. But at the same time, every time I see her watch it, I think she's watching Pride and Prejudice, the series. <laughs> but either way, she enjoys it. But the truth of the matter is, I don't live the life of an action hero. 
My wife is not in a romantic scenario of a 20th century English woman. But it's still just entertaining to see. You know, it's the same thing with even true life stories. Movies like Schindler's List and Remember the Titans, Woodlawn. Great movies that we enjoy and we see this happen in the life of somebody. And even if it's a true story, it's great. But it's still to us just a movie. My question to you today is, do you treat the Bible like you treat a movie? If I were to tell you that God is willing to do great things in your life the same way he did great things in the lives of the people in Scripture, what would your answer be? Would it be, yes, absolutely, I believe that? Would it be, I guess maybe he could, but I just haven't seen him do it? Or would it be flat out, no, I don't believe God works like that anymore? My goal today is to challenge you to have a faith that's so powerful that you start to see God do incredible things in your life today the same way he did things back then. And that's why I'm calling this message today, Daring to Move. And this message was inspired by a story that came in Luke chapter 8. And I want to tell you about this story now. In Luke chapter 8, we see Jesus coming back from a recent trip with his disciples. And when they get to the city off of a boat, they start to see a bunch of people that are crowded around there expecting him. One of the people is a man named Jairus. He was a local synagogue leader. And when Jesus gets off the boat, Jairus falls at Jesus' feet, begging for Jesus to come and heal his dying daughter. Jesus says, Jesus says yes. And him and Jairus make their way to Jairus' house. Now, Jairus is a popular figure, so there's a huge crowd around Jesus. And Scripture says there were so many people that they almost crushed Jesus on the way over there. Now, there was one woman who had been sick for 12 years with the issue of blood who decides to break through the crowd and touch Jesus' clothes, believing that if she could just touch Jesus, that she will be healed from her 12-year sickness. She is healed. And Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? People are saying, Jesus, there's people all around you. What do you mean, who touched you? And he's like, no, I felt power come from out of me. And a woman, uh, the woman with the issue of blood, she confesses that, yes, it was me, and this is why. And he tells, Jesus tells this daughter, woman, uh, your, your faith has made you whole. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. But while Jesus is talking, a servant from Jairus' house comes and says, Jairus, bad news, your daughter is dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. It's too late. Jesus tells Jairus, listen, don't listen to him. Have faith in me and believe and him and Jairus go to his house, and Jesus raises his dead daughter back to life. So we're going to take this story that happens in Luke chapter 8, and we're going to take truths from this story that happened then into our lives. But before we do that, we need to understand the three important people that are in this story. The first person is Jesus, who is the teacher of faith. Jesus is the teacher, uh, is the hero in the story, and we know Jesus as the Son of God who came to earth to die for our sins so that we might be saved. But Jesus, before he died on the cross, had a three-year ministry on the earth helping out people in need. He was healing the sick. He was feeding people. He even cast out demons and answered tough questions about God that people had. Jesus, at this time, is literally a walking answer to prayer. We don't see it like that. But to ask Jesus something then is the same thing as asking Jesus something now. 
So in order for us to understand what Jesus' power was like and how he handles prayer requests, we need to see how he interacts with the people. Now, Jesus has, is beautifully recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, we see that Jesus was always a tender-hearted, willing, and compassionate person that was always willing to help out someone in need. He was never upset about getting interrupted to help somebody. Jesus was also someone that was big on prayer. Nine times in the book of Luke, we see Jesus was praying about something big. And seven of those times, you can actually only find in the book of Luke of Jesus praying. The point is, I believe that Luke was trying to show that there is a connection with how much Jesus prayed along with how much power Jesus had. And I think because we don't really understand that, it affects how much that we pray as Christians today. Pastor and theologian D.A. Carson said that if you ever want to embarrass the average Christian, ask them about their prayer life. And you know, I think there's several reasons why we don't pray as much as we should. First reason, I think it's just a self-discipline issue. I think we don't pray as much as we should the same way we don't eat the right food like we should or work out as much as we should. Another reason I think we don't pray as much as we should is because sometimes prayer for honest is not as glorious as some people make it out to be. There's a lot of people in here where when you pray, it's this incredible experience where heaven comes to earth and God is speaking to you and you just feel inspired and filled with the Holy Spirit ready to make change. But for the rest of us, Sometimes prayer is like this 10 to 15 minute situation where we're trying to pray and then we get distracted and then our stream of consciousness just takes us somewhere completely different. The other day I was praying for my sister to get a job and then as I'm praying for my sister to get a job I start thinking about man I heard about this guy that was laundering money at his business recently that's so messed up and now I'm thinking about Man, I would be such a good detective and like uncover that type of things. Which then reminded me of this Law and Order episode that I watched like a couple days ago. Which then made me think, oh man, I heard Law and Order has 16 seasons on Netflix. <laughs> and then I'm like, hold up, wasn't I praying a second ago? Like, what am I doing? I gotta get focused. Has that happened to anybody in here? Anybody else willing to admit that? All right, awesome. But the third reason why I think we don't pray as much as we should is quite honestly, we don't fully understand what prayer actually does. Sometimes we pray and we get what we asked for. Sometimes we pray for something else and we don't get what we asked for. And then there's even times when we pray for, when we forget to pray for something that we should have been asking for and we get it anyway. So what is this whole cause and effect with prayer? How does it work? Why do we do it? I don't think this was something that we just struggle with today. I think this was something that even the people back then who lived with Jesus had questions about. So we see in Luke 11 Jesus, uh, that Jesus is asked by the disciples, can you teach us how to pray? We see there's a connection with your power and with your prayer life. Can you show us how to do that too? So Jesus first teaches them the Our Father prayer. It goes, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus says a lot more, but we're not really going to go into that just because we covered that in great detail in our sermon series, Teach Us to Pray, last year. Check that out online if you haven't heard it. But what I do want to stop and look at is the beginning of that prayer in Luke 11. And he says, and when he said unto them, when you pray, say, our Father. Now, when we see our Father, we don't think 
much here, where we see our Father who is in heaven. But in the original language, this word Father here is used to show a close, intimate relationship with a dad. Some translators would even say Father here could be said to be Daddy. And this is important to understand because Jesus is not addressing his prayers to some ambiguous figure. Jesus is not addressing his prayers to some supreme overlord that lives somewhere in the universe. Jesus is praying to a daddy, one that loves him, that has tender-hearted willingness and compassion towards him. But Jesus not only says that, but then he brings up this parable, and I want to read this here for you guys here. Then Jesus said unto them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I want to, I have a definition here for the words that Jesus uses here, shameless audacity. Shameless, not feeling ashamed about behaving in a way that other people do not approve of. Audacity, the confidence to say or to do what you want despite difficulties, risks, or the negative attitudes of other people. This is important to understand because Jesus calls this shameless audacity faith. He even brings up a similar parable in Luke chapter 18, and I'll paraphrase it for you. Basically, Jesus says that there's this unjust judge and this widow. And this unjust judge doesn't believe in God, nor does he care what people think about him. But this widow continues to ask him for justice against this adversary that she has. First, the judge says no. But the woman keeps asking over and over and over, so much so that the judge says, even though I don't fear God, even though I don't care what people think, but just so that this woman can leave me alone, I will answer her request. What is Jesus trying to say here? Is Jesus trying to say that God is like an unjust judge? Is God is some type of man that's sleeping in bed that, is, that we're trying to wake up? Not at all. He's trying to contrast God with those people. If an unjust judge will answer the prayer request of someone who is persistent, if a man sleeping in his bed in the middle of the night will get up and give someone bread because of persistence, how much more will a loving, tender-hearted, compassionate God answer your prayer because of persistence? That is what Jesus calls faith. So from faith, we see that Jesus teaches this very important concept. That prayer changes things, so pray until something happens. Now, I know a lot of people ask me as a pastor, listen, how come, if God is so sovereign and powerful, how come he just doesn't answer my prayer the first time? That's a very good question. You know, I studied that while I was in seminary, did papers on it. Uh, I pray about it, honestly, and I've looked at a lot of scriptures, and I've come up with this very profound answer towards that. Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> 
But we know that certain things can only be answered by bold, persistent prayer. Now, hear what I'm saying here as well. I'm not saying that when you get out of here, just pray for everything that you want and just keep on praying till you get it. I don't want anybody talking about, listen, man, I've been praying to God to win the lottery for months now and nothing is happening. That's not what I'm talking about. God is in the business of giving us better and more than what we could ever ask for. So the better question that we need to be asking then is what is one prayer request that you simply have to have? Is it to see an unsaved family member come to Christ? Is it to uh, see uh, something happen at your job or in your life? Is it to get over a sin problem or maybe a sickness that you've been dealing with? But there are certain things that if we come to God about and we pray and we believe, maybe it seems like no at first, but eventually it will become yes because of our persistence. Now, like I said before, this doesn't work everywhere, and I recently realized this in my marriage. You know, uh, first off, I need to make a huge shout-out. If you're a married man in here and you love your wife, can you make some noise in here for me? Let me know where you're at here in Poughkeepsie. Yeah! I'm proud to be a part of that team. I love my wife. I'm happy to be married. But I've realized now since being married that there's just certain things to keep a happy marriage that you just have to give up. I don't play video games as much as anymore as I used to since I've been married. I notice I watch a lot of HGTV now <laughs> since I've been married. <laughs> I got a witness over there. <laughs> and that's fine. I'm happy to give all that up. I'm happy to do that, to have a happy marriage. But you know, there was one thing that happened recently that I knew was going to be impossible for me to have without my wife's permission. And that was one of those cool Segway hoverboards that all the kids was rolling around with. <laughs> I asked my wife and she kept saying no. And she was like, what would you do with that thing anyway? And I was like, do you imagine how cool I would be if the next time I preach, I'm on one of these things that I'm rolling around and all of that? She ain't buy it, I don't blame her. But either way, I wanted it. So I tried to take this whole prayer, changes things to heart, and I prayed that God would change the heart of my wife. But instead of God changing the heart of my wife, he changed my heart after I actually tried one of those things. <laughs> and I actually have a quick video of me trying it that I want you guys to see. Here, real quick, yes. <laughs> it did not work out for me at all. I decided to move on. <laughs> But you know, there's a lot more serious things that we're praying to God about. And in Luke 8, we see one of those things with Jairus, but to see his daughter healed. Now, a few things that we should know about Jairus. Once again, Jairus was a significant person because he was the leader of the local synagogue. Few reasons why this is important. Back then, the religious leaders didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. They thought he was just some carpenter boy trying to make a name for himself. The second reason why this is important is because Jairus is so significant in the, com in the community that he's also a person of influence. There wouldn't be such a big crowd following Jesus and Jairus to Jairus' house if Jairus was a nobody. So this also makes us know that Jairus probably had the best doctors in the community already in his contacts. 
Jairus probably could have afforded the best medications for his daughter. But nevertheless, we see Jairus in a humiliating fashion, falling at the feet of Jesus, begging for him to heal his daughter. And this makes us know this, that faith is born when human effort fails. Jairus didn't have anything else left. And let me be clear when I say this, I'm not saying that we as Christians should not use medications. I believe that we see incredible miracles every day because of the advances in modern medicine. But I also believe that there's sometimes when the medicine we use doesn't work. Or maybe it's another situation outside of sickness and there's no one who can help us or we can't help ourselves. And it seems in those moments we start to build faith. I think that's the reason why we don't see big things of faith happen in our lives all the time because we just don't really need faith as much as other people do. I don't pray every morning for God to give me the strength to get out of bed and brush my teeth and put clothes on. I don't pray to God every morning to find water and food to eat. Now, depending on who's cooking the food, I'm going to pray that I don't die from the food. (laughs) But at the same time, that's just not at the top of my prayer list because all of that is around me. At the same time, in places like Haiti or some parts of Africa or some parts of South America, all over the world even, there are people that are praying for those things every day. And what's so ironic is that even though many of us have those things that they are desperately praying for in other countries, many of those people in other countries have more faith and also a closer relationship with God than we do. And I think that's because they have the shameless audacity of praying so often. Now, I don't believe that in order for us to have a close relationship with God, that requires for us to go through hardship and to have tough times. But I also believe that we should have an audacious, a, a, a shameless audacity with our faith that's also not just for emergencies, which is what we usually use our faith for. Matter of fact, I think faith is a muscle that God gives us that if we don't use it, we'll frail easily. So how then do we grow in our faith, especially here in America? I think it grows through two ways. Faith grows from a relationship with God. You know, I'm standing up here talking about how Jesus is this tender-hearted, willing, and compassionate person But, you know, none of that is going to matter for you tomorrow if you don't have a relationship with Jesus for yourself that tells you that. Jesus prays to God saying, our father, our daddy. But most of us, when we pray, it's more of us kind of calling customer service because we have a problem. So how then do we have that intimate relationship with the Lord then? The same way we have an intimate relationship with everybody else. We take the time to get to know him. We take the time to read his word, not out of religious obligation, but so that we can understand more of who Jesus is, why he does what he does, why he says what he says. We take the time to pray, and not to pray so we can just keep asking him for more stuff, but we take the time to pray so that we can just understand him more, so we can ask him to interact more in our lives and that we can have a closer walk with him. You know, the second way that we grow in our relationship with God is also from fellowship with other believers. Here at Valley Christian Church, we have community groups, and if you're not in a community group right now, we actually have group link coming up, and you can sign up for a group then. 
But the reason why I think community groups are so important is because it opens up an opportunity for you to see God work in the lives of other people around you. You get in a group of people and this person's having an issue with their kid and they need prayer. This person's having a problem at their job and they need prayer. This person's sick, they need prayer. And you as a group begin to pray together, believing that God will do something in that person's situation. And as you start to see God do the miraculous and the marvelous, it starts to build you up to think that, man, if God can do these awesome things in the lives of the people I care about, how much more will he do for me? Because he cares about me too. Those are the things that cause us to have such a faith that we no longer see God as a customer service person, but we see God as our father, our daddy, and one that we can make persistent requests with. Now, everything I've talked about so far has been in the area of prayer and having bold prayer, but we also need to have bold action in faith. And we learn this from the woman with the issue of blood. Now, a few things about this woman. First off, we don't know this woman's name. Her name could have been Mary, her name could have been Lucy, or Jennifer, or Sharkeisha. We don't know. In my mind, she was Sharkeisha. But either way, we don't know this woman's name. We just know her problem. And many of us can sympathize with that because we have things that happen in our lives where we no longer view ourselves as who God made us to be, but we just view ourselves in the lens of our problem. And then we see with this woman that she has been sick with the issue of blood for 12 years. This is significant because back then in the times of Israel, they had the Levitical law. And if you had an issue of blood, you weren't allowed to touch anybody. Because you would make that person unclean. If this woman was married before she got sick, if this woman had kids before she got sick, she couldn't touch her kids anymore. She couldn't love her husband anymore. They actually would have to leave this woman in order to stay healthy, in order to stay unclean. And this woman also had wealth, and we see that she used all of it in order for her to have uh, medications to heal her sickness, but still none of it worked. And I can imagine also during this 12-year period that she was praying day after day after day and year after year after year that Jesus would heal her, that God would do something, and nothing happened. And then she hears the news that Jesus is in her neighborhood and she has a, a thought in her head that finally she can be healed. But there's just one problem. Jesus is busy with someone else. He's on his way to Jay Iris' house. And I can imagine at this moment in her head, she's thinking that it's just not God's will for her to be healed. I could imagine at this moment she starts to get angry at God because it seems like Jesus is blessing everybody else but her. But instead, she does this. She decides to say that if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I could just touch one of his clothes, I will be made well. This is a woman who is sick with a blood issue 2,000 years ago. A healthy, successful woman in the Middle East would never run up a, and touch a man in 2016. This woman was in a situation of failure. 
She wasn't supposed to touch Jesus. There was a huge crowd around Jesus. How could she even get close to Jesus? There's also no record of someone ever being healed by Jesus' clothes. This was a complete failure. And this brings me to my next point. That our faith, our fear of faith is the chance of failure. There are things that we wish that we could do. There's things that we wish that we could accomplish, but we don't do it because we're scared it won't work. But the second thing that I have to say is this, is that chasing failure will take you farther than chasing success ever will. And this woman in this instant decides that she is going to chase failure and she is going to pursue after Jesus, and she does. She breaks through this crowd and she touches Jesus, and immediately, after 12 years, she's healed. Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? And eventually she realizes that she couldn't hide, so she says, Jesus, it was I that touched you, and she explained why. And Jesus, instead of being upset that this unclean woman touched her, says to her, daughter, by the way, the only time in recorded history that we see Jesus call someone daughter, your faith has made you whole. You know, it's Black History Month, and you got a brother up here speaking. <laughs> so as I was preparing for this message, I was thinking about one of our nation's heroes, Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was a man who was born with a certain condition. He was black. And because of his condition, people would look at him and they would judge him and he was segregated against along with the rest of his people. And for years, Martin Luther King, his family and his community prayed day after day after day and year after year after year that something would change, but it never happened. But Martin Luther King had enough faith to believe that if he just stood up through the form of peaceful protest that maybe one day him and his children will be able to live in harmony with everyone else. And history shows that there are people on both sides of the argument that said, Martin Luther King, this is not a good idea. This is going to be a failure. You are going to cause for your community, for your family, and even for yourself to get hurt. But it didn't stop him. And it amazes me to think that that man's faith now makes it a reality for me to stand up here and to preach in front of a completely diverse congregation. You know, the other thing that makes me think about is this church. Two years ago, uh, Dr. Greg said that we were going to plant a church in uh, our start a campus in the movie theater. And there were so many people that said, I don't think that's going to work. People don't want to watch someone preaching on the screens. People aren't going to want to show up every Sunday to set up church. It's going to be a failure. Yet still we've seen so many lives have been changed because we've started that campus over a year ago. And I don't think it's because we're great, but I think it's because God honors great faith. So I'm running out of time. But I want to ask you this question. Is your faith too safe? I promise you there's a slide that says that, but <laughs> either way. <laughs> Is your faith too safe? 
Are there things that God has put in your heart to do, ministries that you're supposed to start, things that you're so, maybe it's going back to school, maybe it's leaving your job, maybe it's doing something, I don't know, but is there something that God is calling you to do, but you've been sitting down too long because you're scared? You know, in this story in Luke 8, I talked about Jesus who healed people. I talked about Jairus that prayed by faith. I talked about this woman who acted in faith. But do you know the one person you don't want to be in this story? Is the crowd that surrounded Jesus the whole way there. They got to hear Jesus speak. They got to see Jesus do some incredible things. But they never experienced the power of God in their own lives. So much so that when one person touched Jesus by faith, that Jesus said, who touched me? And people are like, what do you mean who touched you? There's people all around you. And Jesus said in so many words, yes, I know it wasn't you that touched me. Someone with faith did. My prayer for each and every one of you is that you guys are the ones that touch Jesus by faith today that you have that one prayer request to see something change in your life that you continue to pray for, that you have the shameless audacity to have faith enough to believe that God is going to do something incredible in your life if you just believe. Let me pray for you guys. God, we are so thankful for you. We are so grateful for you. And Jesus, you know the prayer requests of each and every person in here. You know the things that we need to have more faith in. And I pray, Father, that you begin to show yourself strong in the lives of each and every one of these people. And that, Father, we begin to see the miraculous and the, and the marvelous begin to happen. Not because we're great, not because we do anything special, but because we just believe that you are who you say you are. And that you can do what you say you can do. So, Father, we believe for lives that will be changed by the power of your word and also by us having shameless audacity with our faith. Give us the power to be daring to move in our lives and with you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.